Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 356, and today we are talking about books being released on April 5th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! So, it feels weird because we recorded last week's episode yeah. a little later than we have been recording, and we're recording this one a little earlier, so not much time has passed between yeah. when we recorded it, and it's out in the world, and now we're recording this new one, and everyone has been so amazing! Yeah. Just, like, so nice! And, and I knew they would be, but it's just also been lovely to, to get all these messages and emails and... I guess messages and emails would cut it. I was going to say, like, letters, but that would be weird if people were <laughs> writing to me away. I was like, that, that's not correct. Um, you know, I did get text messages from friends. You know, it was just so Aww. nice. Yeah, people are so supportive and also talking about, you know, their own burnout and a lot of people talking about being in the book world in various ways and feeling that pressure. So it's, I mean, I, I don't want people to feel... Like, they're drowning in books, but right. it was really heartwarming to have so much support. So, thank you, everyone, for writing such nice things. Yeah, it was lovely. We shared a whole bunch of them. We basically spent yeah. all of Tuesday sharing them with each other, yeah. which was fun you know, in our little Slack channel. And what else is going on? I don't know. feel a little less stressed today. Yeah, uh, I had already had all my reading done for this week, so that was good. So I didn't. I got a little extra reading in this week that wasn't for work, which felt nice. Yeah, I felt a little bit overwhelmed in terms of there were so many books to choose from. Like now that I opened it up to books that I haven't read that I'm excited about, I had so much difficulty narrowing it down today because there are so many amazing books out today. I had to stop myself from just listing off like 14 titles. Yeah. Well, we picked from what I can tell the biggest new release day of the year. There's yeah. always like one in the spring and one in the fall, but this one has the added bonus of seeming to be like the default I don't know, I want to say dumping site for, <laughs> for like, books that got moved. I mean, two of the uh, books that I'm talking about today were moved from their original dates, and I can't speak to the others, but, I mean, there are so many books out today. It seemed like mm-hmm. in the fall when people were like, ah, oh, we don't know what to do, you know, shortages, shipping problems, everything got pushed to April 5th. And now it's April 5th, and it's like, wow. So mm-hmm. I had a list of 400-something books that I had amassed (laughs) until a couple of weeks ago. And then I went through that, and I found that, like, a few of them got bumped to earlier. Like, there's a book called The Club by Ellery Lloyd, which I did not realize they had moved it to a month earlier. Um, It's Mm -hmm. this, you know, fun, slashery, murder, mystery, locked room thing um, that I read 
that I plan to mention today. And then a bunch more got pushed from today. Uh, someone on, on Twitter was talking about it, uh, about how their book was supposed to come out today, but their publisher was like, you really don't want your book to come out <laughs> because there are so many things. And, and honestly, I did that thing where I had two books that I've just been talking about for so long now that I absolutely love that are coming out today. But I had to take the titles of the other ones that I wanted to talk about and I wrote them down on pieces of paper and then I picked two because I was like, I can't decide. I'm going <laughs> to let the universe decide for me because you know how I hate making decisions. So I was like, well, that well, that's fair, you know. And, like, nobody would ever know if I changed my mind and used a different slip of paper. But I was like, nope, that's it. Those two what we're going to use. So we did pick the wildest new release day to start our, uh, our new format, which is very exciting. Uh, so we're going to talk first about some books that we have read and loved. And then we're going to talk about a couple of books that we are excited about. And then I thought I'd throw out some paperback releases for today because some of the feedback that we got included mentions of how people are excited about paperback releases, um, which is great. So first we're going to hear from a sponsor, though. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye. Bone familiar Rosie spends most of her days in the Bone Forest, hiding her powers to avoid conscription by the Witch King's army. But when she saves the life of Princess Shaw, she's offered the chance to attend the prestigious school Witch Hall. And at Witch Hall, Rosie finds herself embroiled in political games she doesn't understand. Shaw wants Rosie as a partner to help lead the coming war. Meanwhile, all Rosie wants is to stay out of trouble. But she can't really deny her attraction to Shaw. So the question is, will Rosie give in to her destiny or will the Bone Forest call her home once and for all? Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye is for all the magic school lovers. This immersive magic school is full of witches and familiars. It's also a queer normative fantasy world with a sapphic slow burn romance like we love. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Sky for sponsoring this episode. So before we get started, Danica, is there anything else you want to say? Like, I feel like I rushed you. We got on the call and I was like, la, 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 like usual. But <laughs> then I was like, oh, have all the stuff to do. And I also saw my my neighbors outside. So I was like, I hope he's not going to use power tools. So I'm going to get this going. <laughs> No, I think I, yeah, all I really wanted to say was how grateful I think we all are of how amazing people 
took that show and just responded so generously and kindly and it just made me feel better about the world so me too (laughs) it helps that almost everyone uh, who sends an email included cat pictures or sent a message or like cat pictures i should say there were cats and dogs and it was amazing there are a lot of cute animals out there so that was exciting so now we are going to talk about books. I can't... This is one that got moved from March 1st. And I've been waiting to talk about it. It is Memphis by Tara Stringfellow. This is one of the best debut novels I've read. Just absolutely floored me. Ripped my heart out. Stomped on it. Put it back. Molded it back into a heart-shaped shape. And it will destroy you. So just get ready for that right now. Okay? Because no getting around it. This book is going to destroy you. The focus of this novel is three generations of black women in a Southern family. And it is set in, yes, Memphis. The story is told over 70 years. It goes back and forth through time. And it's about the strong women with a young woman named Joan at the center of the narration. Joan is a young girl when her mother flees Joan's abusive father with her younger sister. They take off from their home in the North and they wind back up at Joan's mother's ancestral home in Memphis, where Joan's aunt and cousin already live. Now, each of these women has a trauma that they are dealing with, and they must learn to trust and depend on each other and the other women in their lives and in their neighborhood to help them heal, including a fabulous neighbor who has a gift for curses. She's sort of like the wise one in the neighborhood, the wise one in the group, and it, like I said, it's told back and forth in time. We also learn about Joan's ancestors, like her mother and her grandmother and her great-grandmother, their hopes and their hardships. Uh, it's set against the backdrop of so much history, from the segregated South to the assassination of Martin Luther King to 9-11. It goes up through 9-11 in this book. It is just astounding. The The characters are all so wonderful and real and they have hopes and dreams in the face of some impossibilities. And they make mistakes and they try again. And you just can't help but cheer them on. The dialogue is incredible. The, the love just comes off the page that they have for, you know, you can feel what they, the love they have for each other. I am not doing this novel justice. I found that every time I try to talk about it, I'm like, I'm not doing a good job. It's just amazing and you have to trust me. But I also want to say again... Be ready, because it is filled with really hard, heartbreaking subject matter. But it's also filled with a lot of joy and love and art. Joan is an artist. She wants to be an artist when she grows up, but her mother wants her to be, you know, quote-unquote, more practical. Um, And so she's trying to talk her mother into letting her go to art school. Um, And the descriptions of her art is just beautiful. So I do want to give content warnings for mentions of racism and racialized violence and murder partner abuse, sexual assault of a child and an adult, war, violence, terrorist violence, illness, death, loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, and police violence. This is Memphis by Tara Stringfellow, and put it right at the top of your list. One of the hardest things about talking about books is it's so much easier to talk about a book that makes mistakes and isn't very good than it is to talk about a truly great book. It's it is. always such a challenge. <laughs> and 
I also, I don't know about you or other people who, who talk about books or explain books, but I always feel like, you know, every reading experience is unique to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I might be like, oh, I equate this with this novel or like this feeling or this, you know, memory that I have, you know, where I, I, w- I wonder if like the author is like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, I remember a long time ago when I worked at the bookstore, I read this novel that was like this sort of fairy tale, but it had this one very scary thing that happened at the beginning. It was only like a couple of pages, but it was one of the scariest things that I had read in a book. And so I, I mentioned that like in a, in a review or like on our website or something for the bookstore. And the author wrote to me and was very unhappy that I was telling people it was scary. They're like, cause it's not a scary book. And I was like, but, but that was scary. You know, so now <laughs> I always like worry that I'm going to, you know, say something that, you know, they'd be like, oh, that's just your experience, you know? <laughs> so I get nervous about everything. <laughs> when you put a book out into the world, like when you're reading a, a book, it's a collaboration with the author, you know? You bring yeah. a lot to how you experience it, and there's no way to read it and avoid. It's true, though. And, and like, when you're talking about, you know, books that you don't like, which we don't do on the show, <laughs> you know, it's so much easier to be like... This book is just filled with rocks, which is <laughs> boring, you know, like, that's easy. So I think it's because to me, when it's kind of put together badly, it's really easy to see where the seams are. But when yeah. it's put together perfectly, it's just like one solid piece. And it's really hard to try to take it apart and say why it works because you're just admiring the whole. I, we definitely went on a tangent. I should probably <laughs> talk about another book. <laughs> Okay, so the book I want to recommend to you that's out today is At Least You Have Your Health by Maddie Asina. Maddie Asina is a doctor, and she also wrote The White Coat Diaries, and this is another book from the perspective of a doctor. It's about Maya Rao, who is an Indian-American gynecologist who is trying to make her way up in the world. So while her husband, Dean, is totally content with their life, Maya is determined to give her kids the best possible life, which includes expensive private schools and the kind of extracurriculars that get you into a good college, even if her oldest kid is nine. So both at work and in the social group of upper class moms that she's in, she struggles to fit in. And she is also overbooked and regularly deals with racist microaggressions from patients, as well as from these moms. And next to the perfectly put together moms at her kids' school, she feels like an outsider. And I am white and not a mom, so I can't personally relate, but this is written so well that you just can empathize so much with how she's feeling in the beginning chapters that are describing Maya's everyday life. Just my skin was crawling. It just sounded hellish. Like, in particular, There's one scene at the beginning where she goes to pick up her kid at after-school care, and she pulls up out front and leaves the two younger kids in the car as she walks the literally, like, five feet to the door. 
And as she is walking up, she is confronted by this other mom, this rich white mom, who is telling her off and saying she's not allowed to park there and she shouldn't be leaving these kids unattended. It's totally irresponsible. And she also assumes that Maya is the nanny of her kids. And Maya is kind of trying to argue with her, like, it will literally take a minute, I can see my kids from the door, it's totally safe. And then she gives up and just wrestles the baby out of the car seat, picks up her four-year-old in the other arm, goes inside. And when she walks inside, the baby is screaming, and everybody turns and looks at her. And then the teacher's aide who is signing out her kid, who is just mortified, her older kid at being embarrassed. The aide says, well, you should have just left the younger kids in the car because that's what all the other moms do is they pull up out front and they leave their kids in the car, which is just one example of Maya constantly feeling like she is caught between two bad options. There is no right decision that she can make. And she is always exhausted and feeling like she is failing. And then she makes this unexpected connection with the queen bee mom of the school, whose name is Amelia. And Amelia is running a concierge women's health service, and she wants Maya to be on staff. And the pay is better. And her job at the hospital was already kind of at risk because she had told off a VIP patient for being racist and she was being put on unpaid leave. So she decides to sign up. And then she finds herself pulled into this kind of like goop style clinic, where they will provide clients with whatever treatments they desire. So if they want a whole ton of bee venom, they can have it, even if the treatments aren't scientifically proven or even necessarily safe. It's the kind of place that sells you know, hundreds of dollars of crystals on their website and special vitamins that are pretty much identical to the ones in the drugstore, except they're 10 to 100 times as much. The way this book is described on the back cover makes it sort of sound like a thriller, but it's really more of this quietly building tension and feeling of dread. Maya is initially skeptical of this organization, but you see her really start to buy in, especially when she feels like she's starting to fit in to this upper class moms group. And this system, this concierge uh, women's health clinic is supposed to be about choice and about recognizing women's health when it's so ignored and misunderstood by the medical system. But obviously, it's only for extremely wealthy clients. And it will also sell you things with very questionable benefits. And then it becomes clear that there's misogyny built in here, too. It's just a different kind. And then meanwhile, while Maya's kind of struggling with what she is doing and how it fits into her own ethics as a doctor. Amelia's teenage daughter is slowly getting sicker from some mysterious ailment, and Amelia asks Maya to be her doctor. And so she's trying to figure out what's happening there. We get to see both Amelia and Maya's backstories, including how Amelia wasn't diagnosed with her autoimmune condition for five years, which is why she started a women's health organization. 
And there's also an interesting thread about Maya and her assistant, Esther, because Esther is a Black woman, and although they both face racism in their work, they also have really different experiences with it. And I thought this was a really interesting conversation. I won't obviously spoil anything, but it was an exciting ending for a slowly building story, and there were some nice moments of symmetry that really tied things together. I do want to recognize a few drawbacks to this story, especially that it has this gynecologist main character who talks about women's health a lot, and there's a conflation between sex and gender. There really isn't any discussion that just because you have um, these organs... I don't know what I'm allowed to say that will, won't change our writing, but there is a conflation of sex and gender, uh, which is not great. And... I also want to draw attention to the trigger warnings here, including racism and a chapter from the perspective of a racist character, but also for medical trauma, pregnancy and childbirth trauma, and children and babies in danger, because I know that will be a turnoff for a lot of readers, so I want to make sure that you know that going in. But that being said... I really enjoyed reading this book. It has a lot going on, and I think it would make for a great book club pick. It's one that I would really like to discuss with people. I think there's so many interesting conversations you could have after reading this book together. So that is my first pick, and that's At Least You Have Your Health by Maddie Asina. Well, all right then. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I have a copy of it somewhere. <laughs> it's the name of my... I can't decide. Like, it's the name of my memoir. I have a copy of that somewhere. <laughs> uh, I hope to read that someday. Yeah. Candy camouflage. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm so, like... So, this is a completely different conversation that I'm going to have now, but my husband was making fun of me last night, so it's fresh in my mind, because I, I've started watching basketball all the time. And I watch all the Celtics games, and I watch a lot of the other NBA games, and, you know, I watch all these exciting things happen, you know, someone steals the ball, or, like, they're doing, you know, but I don't know, like, I get excited, but I don't know, like, what people say in these situations, really, so I yell things from Over the Garden Wall, which is that, like, amazing cartoon series from a long time ago, so I yell things like, candy camouflage, (laughs) burglar's turds, you know, so, anyway, I don't know, it's still fresh in my mind, I guess. So... I'm just going to yell things from over the ground. I think it's a good it's a good plan, like, for any mm-hmm. situation. If you don't know what to say, just, like, yell things from over the garden wall. If you've never seen over the garden wall, I think you should remedy that immediately. But anyway, moving on to my next pick. Can you tell I'm in such a better mood? And, like, you can tell when my brain is just spinning like a top. You know, like, <laughs> ooh, it comes back around to books. Okay, so my next pick today is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. This is a wonderful novel about a woman named Elizabeth Zott. When we meet her, she is a young woman working to become a chemist in the sexist world of academia in 1960s California. She wants so badly to be a chemist. She's an incredibly hard worker. She's very studious. She knows her stuff. But unfortunately... She's working with an all-male team, all-male classmates, and she's going up against misogyny and sexism every day, and it's really hard for her. Eventually, though, she meets someone at her lab named Calvin Evans. He is the school's star scientist. He's He was nominated for a Nobel, 
and he's kind of aloof and people don't really understand him, which kind of appeals to her because people, except she's not allowed to be aloof, you know, and mysterious. Instead, you know, they just think that she's cold and and awful because she's a woman um, and they fall in love. And now the problem is not that, you know, she's just a woman working in science, but now people think that she only does as well as she does because she's dating the star scientist. You know, they think that she's sleeping her way to the top. Both the men and the women now uh, in in the lab are cold towards her, but she doesn't care. They're in love and they start a life together and they have a child and then tragedy strikes. And now Elizabeth finds herself raising their daughter, Mad, all by herself. Uh, Well, not all by herself. She has the help of an incredibly smart and adorable dog named 630, who is easily one of the best dogs in fiction. Uh, And as Elizabeth tries to navigate motherhood and trying to chase her dreams of being a chemist, she finds herself a reluctant television star. She gets a job as the host of a cooking show on public television where the producers of the show uh, want her to teach housewives how to cook, but she wants to teach them to become self-reliant and stick it to the patriarchy. So she's butting heads with the producers of her show. It's so, again, like the first book, I'm not going to be able to do it justice. This is an excellent book. It has a few wonderful side characters, including their neighbor who helps take care of Mad sometimes. And I absolutely loved this book. But you know how I hate to say anything negative about anything. And this isn't even about the book. I have to say that I disagree with the light tone of the publisher's description of this book and the cover that it was given. Uh, it's If you look at the cover, it has a, a cartoon image of a woman with a side ponytail and red lipstick, and it's peach, and it looks like it might even be like a romance novel. And And this book is dazzling, and it's sweet, and it's romantic, and it's funny in places, And it's a lovely book about dreams and principles and love. But there is a lot of trauma in this book. Elizabeth goes through a lot of trauma. So I want to give content warnings for sexism, misogyny, sexual harassment, multiple mentions of sexual assault, including one that takes place on the page, loss of a loved one, car accidents, and grief. This is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I know you hate to give criticism like that, but I feel like that's partly what we're here for, is to tell you what the blurb isn't telling you. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it does it justice. I think, and, and I find it, I don't know if I can never use ironic correctly, but it's a book about a woman who is being underestimated and not giving her proper credit. And I really feel like they sort of like played it up as like this light, you know, like, ha ha ha, it's this light comedy. And there is a lot of terrible stuff happening in this book. I I read the description and then I read the book and I was like, that was not the same thing, (laughs) you know? So I just feel like I should mention it because I don't want people to go in being like, this is so great. And then be like, I'm so traumatized. (laughs) Yeah, that's important information to have. All right, my next pick, it does exactly what the cover promises. Yay! <laughs> it's got an absolutely adorable cover, and it's an adorable romance, so <laughs> that evens out. And it's called She Gets the Girl by Rachel Lippincott and Allison Derrick. And first of all, this is an FF romance that's written by two wives 
a two-wife team, which is already pretty adorable. And it follows two main characters, Alex and Molly, we see from both of their point of view. Alex is a flirt who doesn't take anything too seriously, which is why her on-again, off-again girlfriend, Natalie, doesn't trust her while she's touring. So Natalie's band is off touring. Alex wants to have a long-distance relationship with her. And Natalie is saying that she just doesn't trust her if she's not going to be in town. So Alex has promised to make platonic friends, stop flirting with every queer girl she sees, but it will be an uphill battle to convince Natalie. Meanwhile, Molly has had a crush on Cora since they were in high school together, and now they're starting at the same university, but she still can't seem to get up the nerve to ask her out or really to talk to her at all. And that's where Alex comes in, who is also at the same school, who promises to teach Molly how to get the girl. At least she will if Molly promises to serve as a platonic friend reference at the end of this and try to convince Natalie that this is what happened. So they quickly rub each other the wrong way, especially when Cora initially is really into Alex, which was not the plan. They have diametrically opposed personalities and are constantly bickering over the best course of action. This also has like a little bit of an aspect of a Cyrano story. It's not exactly the same thing, but it is a romance that is about trying to get the girl to fall for someone else, which is interesting. I always like that kind of love quadrangle, really complicated love story. So unsurprisingly, they begin to get closer over the course of the story. They are confiding in each other. Alex financially supports her alcoholic mother and is worried that she won't be able to keep her safe now that she is not living at home. And Molly's relationship with her mom has also changed. They used to be each other's best friends, but Molly is trying to find some independence. She's always been really shy and isolated. She's trying to use college to break out and become a little bit more confident. And she resents her mother for not letting her go, for constantly calling and visiting and not really letting her be the independent person she's trying to be. Molly's mom is also a Korean adoptee who internalized a lot of racism in her upbringing. And that's been really hard for Molly to deal with as a mixed race person. She feels like her mom has kind of passed that along to her. And that's not something that she wants, but she's not really ready to talk about it yet. I actually wish we had a little bit more time with both of these subplots because these are big, thorny topics that don't really have a lot of space to be explored in this story, but I think they have a lot of potential and I they think they do add depth to this. But of course, this is a romance. That's where our attention is. And it does feel like a rom-com, like a romantic comedy movie, especially, including all of the banter. And yes, we do get the cute roller skating date that is promised by the front cover. I have found this to be a compulsively readable book. 
I would pick it up, meaning to just read a chapter, and then I would resurface several chapters later, not really consciously having made the decision to keep reading. It's a cute love story that I really enjoyed reading. It's being marketed as YA, but I feel like this would definitely be new adult if publishing hadn't given up on on the category of new adult, because it is about beginning college, becoming a little bit more independent. It also made me realize that I am an epilogue romance reader. I wanted just a little bit more time with this couple. I mean, they're teenagers. I'm not expecting to see their wedding, but I would have liked a a little glimpse into a more established relationship. But I think that's a good sign when you leave a book just wanting a little bit more time with them. So if you like sapphic rom-coms, I highly recommend this one. And that's She Gets the Girl by Rachel Lippincott and Alison Derrick. Oh, right. So now, uh, what's happening now? Oh, yeah. We're going to hear from another sponsor. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita de Monte Lats Last by Sochil Gonzalez. So this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. It follows two women of color who are in the art world, but who also kind of sit outside of it because of a lack of privilege. So the story is told from both of their perspectives and it moves back and forth through time. So in 1985, Anita DeMonte is a rising star in the art world and she's found dead in New York City, right? And then in 1998, Raquel, a third-year art history student, becomes involved with an older, more privileged art student and finds herself rising up the social ranks as a result. But then she also stumbles upon Anita's story, and she sees parallels between Anita's story and her own. So Anita DeMonte Laughs Last is a propulsive, witty examination of power. Make sure to pick it up. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. So Arthur Casimir is a criminal mastermind and collector of secrets. Her prestigious tea room transforms into an illegal bloodhouse by night because obviously it does. It caters to the vampires feared by society. But when her establishment is threatened, she has to make a deal with an alluring adversary. So Arthi hatches a plan to infiltrate the sinister, glittering vampire society known as the Ethereum. But not everyone in her ragtag crew is on her side. And as the truth behind the heist unfolds, Arthi finds herself in the midst of a conspiracy that will threaten the world as she knows it. So this is the highly anticipated next project from the author of We Hunt the Flame. It's got a fierce female lead. The story is fun and fast paced while also exploring significant themes like colonialism, prejudice, betrayal, and self-acceptance. I mean, it's got vampires and heists. Make sure to check it out, get into it, and thanks again to A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so moving on to phase two of our show, new show format. Um, I feel like there should be like some fabulous game show music or something for this part. (laughs) But we're both going to talk about a couple of books that are coming out today that we're really excited to get our hands on. You know, not give you a lot about it because obviously, or most likely, we haven't read them. Um, but just things that we're excited about. Uh, but like as we discussed at the beginning, there are eight million books coming out today that we are excited about. So I, I'm going to kick it off with one of the two little pieces of paper I pulled out of the hat, and that is Four Treasures of the Sky" by Jenny Tingwei Zhang. 
This is a debut novel set against the backdrop of the Chinese Exclusion Act. It's about a young Chinese girl who is kidnapped and smuggled across the ocean from China to America uh, and lands in the 1880s American West. I mean, I that's like my favorite period of time to read about is like post-Civil War. I like to read books about the Civil War and I like to read novels set in post-Civil War Wild West. And... For it immediately brought to mind How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang, uh, which was also set in the 1880s American West. So I'm hoping it's something similar to that because that was such a great book. But I've heard nothing but amazing stories about this book. You know, this young woman, Dayu, goes from San Francisco to the Idaho Mountains. Uh, it had a it had an original title that had Idaho in it somehow, but I can't remember what it was now. But I remember reading the deal for this book in Publishers Marketplace and just being like, yes, please. And it's finally here. And it just sounds fantastic. I know, like, we're going to be saying that a lot now. Instead of like, this was fantastic, we're going to be saying this sounds fantastic, (laughs) you know, because we... But yeah, so what caught your fancy first? Oh, that was Four Treasures of the Sky by Jenny Tingwei Zhang. Yeah, I am cheating a little bit and doubling up on two graphic novels that are out today that sound amazing. And obviously, you can't really talk about graphic novels for too long without describing absolutely everything that happens in them. Uh, So I figured I could just talk about two graphic novels, but only speak a little bit on both. That's my reasoning. So the first one is Rabbit Chase by Elizabeth Lipense and illustrated by Casey Oster. This is a non-binary Anishinaabe middle grade graphic novel, which already sounds amazing, but it gets better because it's also an Alice in Wonderland retelling. So it's about Aime, who is a non-binary Anishinaabe middle schooler who has been facing bullying after coming out. On a school trip, they learn about the water spirits that protect the land, as well as new land developments that are threatening this environment. The trip takes a turn, though, when Aime gets lost and finds themselves in another dimension. And in this world, which is inspired by Alice in Wonderland, there are a multitude of Anishinaabe figures. To get home, they will have to team up with Trickster to fight dark water spirits and fight a land-grabbing Queen of Hearts with a robot army. Elizabeth Lepense was the editor of Moonshot, at least for one of the volumes, which is a collection of indigenous comics I really enjoyed. I actually ended up teaching one of the stories in that collection to a high school English class once, which was a really interesting experience, went really well. So I'm sure this one will be just as good. It promises to be about community, gender, and Anishinaabe culture, and it also includes a glossary of Anishinaabe Moen words in the back. And early reviews are saying it's a really fast-paced and absorbing read, and it's one that should be in every middle school library. And that is the first graphic novel I'm going to talk about, Rabbit Chase by Elizabeth Lepense and illustrated by Casey Oster. And the second one is an adult nonfiction work, and it's called Fine, a comic about gender by Rhea Ewing. So this is graphic nonfiction that's part memoir, part documentary. It discusses Rhea growing up in rural Kentucky, questioning their gender. And in college, they receive an assignment that asks them to define what gender means to them. 
And that question of what exactly is gender was something that Rhea just couldn't stop thinking about. So they began interviewing people from across the country over the next decade, asking exactly that, and the answers are documented here. So they explore how conceptions of gender are influenced by culture, race, and religion, and how everyone has their own journey with gender. Most of the people interviewed are trans, but not all of them are. Some are cis, and each has their own story. They don't always agree with each other. The book is divided into themes, and each theme includes moments from Rhea's life that are related, excerpts from the interviews on that theme, and then ends with Rhea's own thoughts about it. It includes content warnings at the beginning, which I always think are really helpful. So there are content warnings for gender dysphoria, transphobia, racism, ableism, and body issues, as well as mention of drug use, sex work, and suicidal ideation. And I have literally only seen rave reviews of this so far. I haven't really heard any criticisms. So I am so excited to pick it up. And that I think is going to be my phrase. (laughs) I think I'm going to say I'm really excited about every book that I haven't read yet. But that's only because I am really excited about them. (laughs) (laughs) And that one, again, is fine. A comic about gender by Rhea Ewing. So last week, I think it was the day after we recorded last week's show, I gave myself, like, a theme day. Like, sometimes I get these every once in a while where I'm like, today I'm just going to play World of Warcraft, or today I'm just going to watch television. And the other day, it had been so long that I was like, today I'm just going to read graphic novels. And so I polished off, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 of them. And my favorites were this one about a 10-year-old who wants to take over the world called Apprentice Lord of Darkness by C.E.D. and illustrated by Jean-Philippe Morin. And then The Wondrous Wonders, I finished that one by Camille Jordy, which I talked about on the show uh, last week. But it was so much fun. I was like, why don't I just read graphic novels all day, every day? Like, I could do this. It's yeah. just amazing. And then I read a couple where I was like, why would you write this, let alone add art to it? <laughs> um, but And then I read the, like, 1,300-page saga compendium because I wow. started reading saga. Like, I bought, like, the first several issues but somehow fell out of the habit um, and so had not read most of it. And, you know, wow, don't get attached to anyone is, is what I learned from that comic. Uh, but, oh, excellent. It's so funny because I looked at that. I looked at that compendium and I was like, but who would read this giant book in one sitting? <laughs> Me! It you! I did it! <laughs> it was fun. But yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed revisiting Saga uh, by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. And I think, are the new issues out now? I think they Yeah, are. I think. Like it restarted. Yeah, there's a new one coming out in April, I know. Yeah. So that was really fun. Graphic novels. Totally on board. Also want to remind everyone that there is a bunicular graphic novel coming in the fall, which is super adorable. Uh, I was trying to think of like, that's the only word I come up with. Super adorable. Also updated a little bit, updated for our times. Um, You know, kids have cell phones and they talk about computers and stuff. The dog is, you know, Harold is writing on a computer now. Which makes more sense, you know, because, like, in 1979, like, how is he really writing with a pencil? I can't remember. Was it a typewriter <laughs> he was using? It's been so long I since I've read so. the actual book. He was using a typewriter, I think. And Chester comes off more of a villain than I remember him being, but it was fun. So, again, tangent, 
completely off on something else now. Uh, so my other pick today that I am excited to read is called When Women Kill by Alia Trabuco Zaran and translated by Sophie Hughes. This is out from Coffeehouse Press, one of my favorite small presses. Uh, and I think I'm going to read this one very soon because recently I go through phases where I enjoy reading um, scary books and I enjoy reading murder mysteries and I want to read true crime. I just read Unmasked by Paul Holes, which scared the hell out of me because it's all true in, about his obsession with the Golden State Killer. And then I read uh, The Nothing Man by Catherine Ryan Howard, which I've never read anything by her before, but uh, also scared the hell out of me. Um, I thought it was really well done and I'm looking forward to reading something else by her because I was just like reading it in the middle of the day like I'm so scared that was that was fun uh, so I'm just I guess in the mood for crime right now this is a book I think it's more like essays there are four essays about uh, it says it analyzes four homicides carried out by Chilean women over the course of the 20th century and the author is a lawyer and using her expertise she gives a close reading of their lives and the crimes uh, and talks about the acts and the victims. And also, like, the, they call it the double transgression of not only being criminals, but also the invisible laws of gender, where it's, like, people still can't believe that women perpetrate crimes, which I always find so fascinating. Like, Lizzie Borden, they think that, you know, possibly she would have been convicted, but no one could believe in 1892 that a woman carried out axe murders. And, and that same year, Alice Mitchell murdered F Freda Ward, and no one could believe, you know, really that not only that she had done it, but they had to clear the courtroom when they talked about the fact that the two women had been lovers because no one talked about that then, you know. And so, I mean, it's, it, the stuff is so fascinating. And it just sounds incredible. And the author, Alisa Trabuco Zaran, is an International Booker Prize finalist for the remainder, which I, <laughs> I'm going to say it. I think I have around here somewhere. Um, but And I love Sophie Hughes. Sophie Hughes does amazing translations for Coffeehouse Press. And yeah, so I'm excited for that one. It is When Women Kill by Alia Trabuco Zaran, translated by Sophie Hughes. I want to apologize for I think you heard a little bit of my dog barking. I did Sorry. not. But <laughs> oh, okay. well, the last time you were talking, I dropped my phone on the floor and it opened up my text <laughs> messages to an Instagram story or a reel that someone had sent me and started oh, playing no. it. Like, <laughs> they're so loud and, and yeah. they always have music. And I had my volume up because I had the alarm on earlier to remind me for the show. And so it was almost like circus music. Like, I had asked for circus music <laughs> or, like, game show music and then I got yeah. it. Like, I, and I immediately was like, ah, but then I realized it was on mute, so it was okay. But um, <laughs> our editor, Jen Zink, will hear it. It was like... -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> it's ridiculous. My neighbor has also decided to start mowing their lawn right now. So <laughs> we're here for strong. <laughs> I know. I just, I'm so gleeful today. I feel lighter and I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, that might, it's more like maybe my brain isn't so much a top as like a Macy's Day float. It's just like <laughs> barely tethered down because it's so happy and it's just floating <laughs> around in my brain pan. <laughs> it's, uh, it is fun too. When you're talking about books you haven't read yet, there's, like obviously the books that we've read and recommend we're excited about but there's like a, a different kind of excitement for something you haven't read but want to where you're just like oh it sounds so good yeah <laughs> like, 
You know, that I've mentioned this before, but, like, one of the things that I miss, and, like, big deal, you know, it's no big deal, but, like, when I started working at a bookstore and now, like, reading about new releases constantly, is that when I walk in a bookstore, like, I know what everything is, mm. you know? Like, I know, even if I haven't read it, like, I know what that book is coming out and I, you know, and so at least, like, I haven't read these books, so there's still, like, that possibility and, mm-hmm. you know... Like, last week I immediately downloaded this book that sounded amazing, and it was so dumb. And I was so happy, because I was like, that was really stupid! <laughs> like, what a waste of time! But I hadn't heard anything about it, and I was so excited. <laughs> you know, like, I still, I missed the surprise. Yeah, you need to start just wandering into secondhand bookstores and just looking at the, like, 1970s <laughs> It's paperbacks. true, it's true. Yeah, I did spend a lot of time in the library as a very small child, though, so. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I got one last book. <laughs> You're like, all right, stop. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, I don't know, this has been a very chatty episode. It's been yeah. great, but I keep trying to remind myself that I We're supposed to do something. <laughs> do it before. <laughs> okay, so my last pick is Nothing Burns as Bright as You by Ashley Woodfolk. I read the first book in this author's Fly Girl series, and I really liked it. It's what's called a high-low book, meaning that it is aimed at a high school crowd. It's high interest, but it's written in a way that's more accessible to a middle grade reading level around. So it's supposed to be high interest and then low difficulty, basically. So I found the characters fascinating, but high-low books are necessarily very pared down to the essentials, super fast-paced, not a lot of complex words of vocabulary. So I'm really excited to read something from her where she has a little bit more room to flesh things out. And this is a sapphic YA novel in verse. It begins with two unnamed black teenage girls who break up after they set fire to a dumpster outside of their school together. And then the story backtracks to how they got there, and it's told non-linearly. The two of them were protective best friends to each other until they became this codependent, mutually destructive couple. So the first and last chapters are from one of the girls' perspective, and the rest is from the others. So it's mostly one of them, but it's beginning and ending with the other one. This promises to be a fast-paced, intense read with a really intense relationship. I'm always interested in explorations of intense female friendships, especially in queer YA. Those connections were such a huge part of my life. Your friends are often the most important people in your everyday life when you're a teenager, but they can also be destructive and not to mention extremely confusing when you're queer and you add in that possibly romantic element and figuring out your own identity. And I found reading the reviews really interesting because it seems like people are interpreting this relationship in really different ways. So some loved their intense relationship and they actually wanted it to be more of a romance novel, whereas other people talked about it as toxic and even suffocating. So back in October, I talked about The Fallen Girls on this podcast by Haley Krischer. And that was also an exploration of intense and unhealthy female friendships. And I think I'll enjoy this one for the same reasons I did The Falling Girls. I'm really glad that we're at the point where we can tell these 
complicated queer stories where not all queer relationships and books need to be happy and perfectly healthy because we have a good foundation of that kind of representation. So we have more room to tell more than just a single kind of queer story. Hopefully there's a little bit less pressure. And that's especially true considering that these are two Black queer girls, which obviously we haven't seen represented a lot until recently. So I'm really excited to see this kind of story finally getting told. This got a starred Publishers Weekly review, as well as positive reviews from Kirkus and School Library Journal, who recommends it for all libraries. And the Goodreads reviews all seem to be enthusiastic recommendations, and it promises to be an intense reading experience. It also has a beautiful cover, so that's always a plus. And that's Nothing Burns as Bright as You by Ashley Woodfolk. All right, we did it. We did it. Before we talk about what we're going to read next, I just want to mention a few paperback releases out today uh, because I know people are excited about those. And you can get two paperbacks for the price of one hardcover. So that's always a bonus. Out today, Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which has been nominated for a bunch of awards. If you'd like to hear more about that, you can check out our May 4th show from last year. Uh, The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. I loved this book. Check out our May 25th show to hear more about that. There's also Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby, who is fantastic, wrote Blacktop Wasteland, which, and there's another one coming out next year, I think. First Person Singular, the story is by Haruki Murakami, translated by Philip Gabriel. Danny Trejo's memoir is out in paperback today, Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood, which he wrote with Donald Logue, the actor. And if you like romance, there are two paperback originals out today that are getting a lot of buzz. The Wedding Crasher by Mia Sosa and Fool Me Once by Ashley Winstead. You'll be able to find all of these listed in the show notes as well as a bunch more titles that are out today. And now, Danica, what are you going to read next? Yeah, I'm going to read Wild and Wicked Things by Francesca May, which was out last week. I'm so excited about, obviously, because it's supposed to have great Gatsby vibes, but it is sapphic and on an island and there's magic and it just sounds amazing. What are you going to read? So I am reading Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson, who wrote... Nothing to see here, which everyone read, and it's just amazing, and I love so much. Uh, And I was so excited to get this. As soon as I got this, I started reading it, and then, of course, like, all this life stuff happened, and I was going to get back to it, and then, like, literally the morning that I was going to go back to it, I got the new Catherine Dunn. Yes, Catherine Dunn, as in geek love Catherine Dunn, has a previously unpublished novel being released. Uh, She died in 2016. This was actually a novel that she wrote after Attic and Truck, but before Geek Love. Uh, She wrote it in the late 1960s. It's called Toad. And so I was like, now is the time to panic because I want to read both of these at the same time. Uh, So, and then of course, more life stuff. So I've just been picking my way through both of those. Uh, But I hear that there is another book that I've been dying to read, making its way to me possibly tonight or tomorrow. And now I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to lay on the floor and just go, ah. (laughs) Just switch page to page. Just one page to (laughs) page. I do like doing that. I usually like read a chapter and then Mm -hmm. go back to the other book, read another chapter. But 
Yeah, just so many exciting books coming out. I mean, mm-hmm. just uh, while we were sitting here recording, Nina Kwame Ajibrenya, who wrote Friday Black, that collection of stories that won multiple awards a few years ago, just announced that he has a novel coming in 2023 called Chain Gang All Stars. It's his debut novel. And I was like, ah, I want to read that now. Like, every book that I don't have is the one I want to read the most. <laughs> Although I'm not going to lie, Kevin Wilson and Catherine Dunn are really doing it for me. So that's exciting, too. And that is all for today. Thank you to our listeners for making it this far. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. We are always accepting pet pictures. You can find us mm-hmm. online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at Lesbrary. I was going to say the name of your blog, which is The Lesbrary, but you are <laughs> Lesbrary on Twitter. Uh, I hang out mostly on Instagram at Franz and Comes Alive. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave a rating or review, we would be most appreciative because it helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading!